Okay, welcome back. Uh, today, continuing the reading of the book Nityananda in Divine Presence, compiled by Captain M.U. Hatengi, and further compiled and um, prepared by Swami Chetanyananda, who was a successor, I think, to Rudi, or Rudrananda, who was an American guru or teacher, who once met Nityananda and I guess respected him, but initially didn't respect him. Called him a big fat fellow and didn't see anything more than his huge size. And uh, then later, I guess, uh, Rudy Rudrananda got it. So anyway, last time we completed two chapters at the end of the first half of the book. The book basically has 20 chapters. Last time we looked through chapters 9, 10, entitled The Old Ashram, Parts 1 and 2, 1936 to 1950, stories of Nityananda having moved uh, from the south to um, not far from Bombay or Mumbai uh, in the central western portion, coastal, not on the coast, but near in the central portion of India to the west. Today, uh, we're going to look into more chapters on the old ashram, meaning what was started in Ganeshpuri after he moved up from the south. Uh, part 3, so the old ashram, part 3, 1936 to 1950, and then the old ashram, 1950 to 1956, those two chapters, hopefully, I can, can I will um, conclude today which could be 11 and 12 of the second half, and that's the link I sent. And so there'll be more stories, as the book is, of those that met Nityananda or had some interface in some level, and um, I'll do some commentary after I finish each chapter. Um, So, beginning chapter 11, The Old Ashram, part 3, 1936 to 1950 from Nityananda in Divine Presence. And it begins, M. Hegde, Hegde is a, not, a, not a common family name in India, M. Hegde, Hegde, a young relative of Sitarama Shenoy, was posted to Bombay during the Second World War as an apprentice in the naval dockyard. On his, meaning Mr. Hegde, Hegde Hegde's regular visits to Ganeshpuri, he was sometimes asked to prepare the master's tea. During one visit to the jungle ashram, Ganeshpuri, he found himself questioned by Nityananda. Did he wish to improve his prospects? Did he know about the government-sponsored Bevan Boys Training Program in Great Britain? For, I guess, Indians coming to Great Britain. Mr. Hegde said that he had read about it in the newspaper, but thought himself ineligible because quotas were determined by province, and he was not really from Bombay. The master told him to think big and apply anyway. The boy did and was accepted. However, at his medical examination, the local doctor contested his candidacy and declared him medically unfit. When Mr. Hegde hurried to Ganeshpuri, Nichinanda again advised him to think bigger and appeal the decision. Hegde therefore wrote to the Surgeon General and received an appointment. So he did a workaround from the doctor. Puzzled at the sight of a healthy young man standing before him, 
the Surgeon General in India, asked the local doctor to explain his ruling. Because he was unable to do so satisfactorily, the decision was overturned. During his year of training in Great Britain, Mr. Hegde began dating an English woman. One time, while the two were strolling in a park, Hegde suddenly saw an apparition of the master, Nityananda, before him. His stern face seemed to say, Was this why you came to this place? Just to be dating a girl? The apparition disappeared, and Hegde began sweating profusely, even though it was winter. The look on his face apparently was startling enough to make the woman end their relationship on the spot. When he returned to India, Hegde went directly to Ganesh Puri to ask Nityananda what he should do next. The master told him to put on a suit and walk up and down one of Bombay's major commercial streets from 10 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon. This was a tall order, but the young devotee resolved to follow his instruction to the letter. Exhausted, he later returned home and wondered how he would get a job by pacing up and down. Nevertheless, the next day, he faithfully repeated his vigil. By noon, he found himself staring aimlessly at a notice board outside the Marco Polo shop. From the corner of his eye, he saw a foreigner enter the shop. Exiting some time later, the foreigner was surprised to see Hegde still staring at the notices. He asked the young man what he was doing, and Hegde admitted that he was looking for work. The stranger inquired into his qualifications and whether he was prepared to go to Calcutta that night. Gulping, Hegde said yes, and followed the man to the Lakshmi office building, where he accepted a good opening position, plus traveling expenses. Predictably, Hegde caught the first train to Ganeshpuri to see Nityananda. A hundred yards, yards from the ashram, he could hear Nityananda shouting at him to return to the station immediately if he intended to catch the train for Calcutta. And, joyously saluting the master from that distance, Mr. Hegde set out for his new job. So, Nichinanda <laughs> facilitated that young man, who obviously deserved it, getting a good position. Nichinanda's understanding of life was light years beyond the people around him. Time after time, someone would express concern or sorrow about an event, only to have the master explain, sometimes in exasperation, that many things occur beneath life's apparent surface. Stories abound, of course. This is a very important point, that many things occur beneath life's apparent surface. And actually, Ra's comment that the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable, to me, means then that we cannot understand the physical world, or ourselves, or society, or planetary history, or the planet's current condition, or civilization's current condition, without understanding the metaphysical. And that's it. And I think for those of us who've studied the raw material and uh, are open to deeper understanding of metaphysics, we see we can't understand and we can't explain much, or very little can be understood deeply in this world without the metaphysical. Like, why are people born... Um, to a, a loving family or an abusive family, born healthy, strong, or deformed, given you know many good things happen, or somebody has misfortune or harm and hurt all throughout their life. Why, why, why? You can't know these things without the metaphysical. Going on, 
Captain Hatengi's mother was among those who first sought out Nichinanda. In 1924, however, she turned instead to Swami Sidharud in Hubli, being quite taken with the many miracles attributed to him. That was enough for her, miracles. Two decades later, as her son's connection with Nityananda evolved, meaning Captain Utengi, who put together this book, um, deepened his relation with Nityananda, <clears throat> and his mother, you know, had another guru. As her son, or Captain Hatengi's connection with Nityananda evolved, he wrote to his mother and invited her to the ashram. And so it passed that in February 1944, accompanied by a brother and his family, she traveled to Ganeshpuri. Upon seeing her, and with characteristic brevity, Nichinanda asked, How long? <laughs> Unprepared for this greeting, the woman mumbled, Perhaps twenty years. No, came his reply, Twenty-two. <laughs> Meaning, I guess what, that she had rejected Nichinanda. Anyway, where is Siddharud now? He is no more, she said. Where has he gone? Can you see him when you close your eyes? Nichinanda asked. When she said yes, he repeated, Are you so certain he has gone anywhere? <laughs> um, meaning, uh, maybe he's still with you, or he's still around, or he's fully enlightened. Not clear what that means. Going on, the Hatengi family was assigned a room near the baths for the night. That evening, Nityananda visited, sitting without saying a word, when one woman quietly asked about his silence, another said that he must be meditating because it was sunset. The master immediately spoke all that was over in the mother's womb. And that's the story about that comment, which I thought came in another different context, but uh, he, <clears throat> he could hear her, or her thought, <clears throat> and he's basically saying that I don't need to meditate. Uh, for development. Uh, his apparent meditation was basically some form of white magical world service, doing something, projecting himself, or working at a distance. But it was all over in the mother's womb. <clears throat> and that's the kind of comment, I mean, you can say that he's a fraud. Some people might think that. But <clears throat> um, even a fraud doesn't normally talk this way. There's a certain sophistication um, of mind revealed by speech. And uh, the sophistication of mind to say such a thing is not commonly associated with frauds, in my experience. But mm, there's no proof there. Going on. Another time, a couple arrived in Ganeshpuri. After the first bathing, they were arranging to pre prepare a meal for the master when they saw him rush across the compound. He shouted at them to leave at once. The startled devotees hurriedly packed and left, just catching a bus to make the rail connection at Bassein. The instant they arrived home, a fierce gale began to rattle the shutters and windows. It was a precursor to a formidable storm that severed railway connections in the region. In fact, had the couple not caught that particular bus and train, they would have been stranded in Ganeshpuri for ten days. So he knew, before the storm came, that it would destroy, temporarily, their railway and bus connections. And um, <laughs> that's uh, not so surprising. Once again, a hardship proved to be a blessing, 
when a devotee and his wife arrived in Ganeshpuri for a few days. After settling in, they hired a horse-drawn carriage to take them to Vajrashwari. But as the wife climbed into the vehicle, she fell and broke her ankle. Witnessing the occurrence, Nichinanda told the husband to take her to a certain bone setter in Bombay as opposed to the hospital. When an anxious friend of the couple asked Nichinanda how such a thing could happen in Ganeshpuri, he replied, She has young children. A fatal accident would have brought distress to them. It was clear to everyone that a fatal accident had been averted. And so this seems to be a case where it's her karma to... It's sort of unchangeable that she would have some degree of injury. Uh, it could have been fatal. Presumably, what seems to be here is that Nichinanda knew that it could have been had he not intervened. Going on, around 1950, Dr. Diodar recalls seeing two cars arrive. From one car, servants arrived carrying bedding and headed for the ashram's back door. It seemed that the Biwandiwala family was preparing to stay for some time. Family members emerged from the other car and walked toward the main entrance. One man gingerly carried an inert child in his outstretched arms. Not ten minutes later, the servants returned to the cars with the bedding. Next came the family, the same man holding the child. The entourage drove off and Dr. Diodor hurried inside. There he learned that the child suffered from pneumonia and had been unconscious for three days. The family brought the child before Nityananda and begged him to open the child's eyes. Passing his hand over the small face, the child's eyes opened, but moving his hand back, the child's eyes closed. Nityananda then told the family to perform the last rites because the child was dead. Mystery. Uh, it's interesting that <clears throat> they don't include the further up story. Okay, now here they do. Uh, Mystery was a, another disciple or devotee. Mr. Mystery had been in charge of the ashram's construction work for many years and felt comfortable around his guru, Nityananda. Without thinking, he remarked how unfortunate it was that the child had died in Nityananda's presence. Angrily, the master said, What do you know about it? This is the fourth time... Hold on. Ay, ay, ay. A wasp has awoken <laughs> next to the, uh, above the, <laughs> uh, above the eaves, uh, close to the ceiling, buzzing next to some fluorescent lamp that doesn't work. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, I'll have to deal with that later. I like wasps, generally, but uh, I have to remove them. So, this is probably a two-inch wasp. <laughs> we have some big wasps here. So I hope he can relax. <clears throat> Angrily, the master said, What do you know about it? This is the fourth time that the child has come from its mother's womb seeking liberation. It has wanted freedom, but karmic law has dragged it down again and again into the same family. Now fulfilled, this soul will not have to return. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to have a, a visitor this wasp who's trying to escape from the light or the, the ceiling. 
now fulfilled, this soul will not have to return. Overcome by curiosity, Dr. Diodar later questioned a family member who confirmed that four infants had died shortly after birth to this woman. The last one only after receiving darshan from Nityananda, meaning receiving a blessing or an audience, which was him passing his hand over the, the infant's face. So, that's an interesting matter. And commonly, um, people who don't know think they know. So, this devotee mystery saying how unfortunate it is that the child died in Nityananda's presence. A child died at the ashram. That doesn't look good, and uh, it's sad. Meanwhile, the master, or Nityananda, knew <laughs> what was really happening. And um, it's a good uh, little teaching for me personally that all he said was, what do you know about it? Not, you stupid man, or you fool, uh, presuming you know so much, which most foolish people do. Uh, but he's just explained that this is a soul that was seeking some kind of awakening or liberation, and um, um, by karmic law, it had to keep getting born into this family, which was not appropriate for it. And so it gives a different view on um, infants who die young or all sorts of things. As I said before, the metaphysical, physical, metaphysical are inseparable. The physical is physical, metaphysical. And the metaphysical is metaphysical with a physical manifestation. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Matter and 3D space-time is the visible face of 3D time-space. And 3D, or any dimension, at least 3 through 6, has that division of physical, non-physical, space-time, time-space, um, material, spiritual. And uh, mm, without knowing the spiritual or the metaphysical, um, everybody's understanding of the physical and the social and the material is extremely limited. And most everyone is presumptive and presumes uh, more than they ought to. Going on, in another instance, a Bombay couple had their first child late in life. When he contracted smallpox, the parents rushed him to Ganeshpuri. There they placed their beloved son at Nityananda's feet in full view of a group of devotees and ashram children. Aware of the risk to those present, meaning that the, the child has smallpox, the master ordered the couple to take their sick child home immediately. Nityananda stood up then and entered his own room. For ten days he stayed inside, seeing no one, until one morning he emerged and walked directly to the hot springs to bathe. Following him, anxious devotees noted a number of skin eruptions on his body. Later they learned that, the, that in Bombay the sick child had miraculously recovered. So even though <laughs> he sends the child away, which the parents or anyone could feel is a uh, uncompassionate act, or a harsh or cruel act even, the child recovered. And it seems that in those ten days, among other things, Nichinanda transferred the disease to himself and worked it out in ten days. I'm sure he did other things too, but um, 
That's very interesting. Going on, the following story occurred sometime before Dr. Diodar became a devotee. On his jungle estate near Panval stood a small shrine to Shiva. Installed by his family at this shrine was a certain Swami Ramananda, meaning they install a guru, a, a, a sadhu. This certain Swami Raman, Ramananda, who performed daily rituals. Once a week, the monk went to the Diodar compound to collect supplies, and one time he arrived as the the family was deciding whether to excavate, excavate an old rubble-filled basement that lay directly beneath the present house. Listening to the discussion, Swami Ramananda excitedly said that the basement held a golden treasure guarded by a large cobra, and he were offered to retrieve it for them. For a price. Rather doubtful, Mr. D or Dr. Diodar said that they were not seeking treasure, only a basement, but the family agreed to let the Swami supervise the project. There are many dubious sadhus and swamis in India, many. Two days of digging passed without producing any sign of abasement. Meanwhile, the family grew increasingly anxious, fearing that the house might collapse. Swami Ramananda pleaded for one more day and spent the night in the trench, breathing so loudly that no one slept. The next morning, he climbed out and said that they could replace the excavated dirt because nothing would ever materialize. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Angrily, he added that a certain Langotiwala, Langotiwala, um, one who is in charge of the loincloths, Wala means the one in charge of, or the attendant, or the, I think attendant is probably good, or the maker, or um, server. So Chaiwala means a tea, uh, the one in charge of tea. So this is Langoti. Langoti is the sort of looking, a little diaper looking uh, loincloth that commonly uh, sadhus or many Hindus would wear. He angrily added that a certain Langotiwala was preventing their success and he would go to Ganeshpuri and demand satisfaction. Oh, so he's going to take on Nityananda, I guess. Though Swami said, he had known about this. He had known this Langotiwala in Rishikesh, which is far in the north, the uh, capital of sadhus and swamis and religious practice, where the Beatles went. He recalled that in those days, Nityananda was already a powerful yogi, known to lie on the bank of the Ganges for long periods of time without taking food or water. He explained that in the case of the basement, Nityananda had obviously blinded his, or Swami Ramananda's, powers, or Siddhis. In short, it was not that the basement with its treasure did not exist. It was simply that Nityananda was not allowing the Swami to find it. So that's pretty bold. He's going to take on Nityananda directly. Now, it seemed that Dr. Diodar was already in the habit of visiting holy men residing in Maharashtra, another part of the country. He had even heard about Nityananda from his parents and so this is the early days before he actually became a um, deeply committed devotee. So Dr. Diodar had even heard about Nityananda from his patients and wanted to accompany Swami Ramananda to Ganeshpuri. However, when they missed their travel connections in Tana, he returned home. Swami Ramananda continued on, promising to tell the doctor later about his intended confrontation. Swami Ramananda returned a few days later, a changed man. 
he admitted to having been severely chastised by Nityananda. Quote, This is the third time you have used your cities in recent years, Nityananda told him. You have far to go in your spiritual work, and you should know that you will never succeed by using your powers for vain and selfish reasons. Why did you do it? Nityananda told this guy. Swami Ramananda meekly replied that he was only trying to express his gratitude to the Diodar family, a liar from start to finish. But Nityananda admonished him again, because he knows he's a liar, <clears throat> saying that it was the wrong way to do it. He then ordered him to move to a certain spot on the Narmada River and continue his personal practice. The humbled Swami left immediately after telling his story, and the family never saw him again. Dr. Diodar felt compelled to meet Nityananda and became a lifelong devotee. Got to be pretty arrogant and stupid to try to over, overturn Nityananda. There is still an air of mystery around Nityananda's age, background, and movements. This is a strange paragraph that was pulled out of somewhere. For instance, the only information known about his visits to the northern regions where Rishikesh is is that he traveled north between the ages of 12 and 16 or so after leaving his foster father in Banaras. That's uh, Mr. Iyer. In 1944, he told devotees of his presence when the ancient Anantesvar temple was built. He des- that was 400 years ago. He described himself then as having an unkept beard and matted hair. The confines of time and space did not appear to affect him. And that Anantesvar temple was built in the mid-16th century, making it over 400 years old. So, again, <laughs> we see Nichananda quite aware of his past lives, or claiming to be, and <clears throat> um, able to um, talk sense to everyone, and not use powers for vain and selfish reasons. Most everybody, Hindu, Buddhist, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, American, European, who seeks to develop cities, magical powers, cities, the powers of mind over matter and energy, um, almost always use them for vain and selfish reasons. Because they're basically developing magical capacity while (laughs) neglecting a significant lower triad blockage. And particularly, the lower triad blockage that um, uh, is, is the basis of heart chakra blockage. And so there is an inadequate understanding or appreciation of service, service to other. There is an inadequate morality for everyone uh, to the degree there's lower triad blockage on, unreleased or unhealed. And so unhealed mind, lower triad blockages, uh, non-released equals some blind spots in terms of morality and right action, right speech, right livelihood, and um, ultimately right view. And so, very common uh, that people develop powers, cities, for vain and selfish reasons. (laughs) And uh, this fellow even lies after being caught, saying he only tried to express his gratitude. Actually, he probably wanted something more from it. So, you know, doubling down on lies and deception is not a not a fine way to proceed. So Nityananda 
let him have it. And um, this guy got it enough to go away to continue his personal practice and move out of uh, his attachment to vain and selfish motivation. Um, I think that'll be it for that chapter. <clears throat> Very interesting, as always. The next chapter, called The Old Ashram, still in Ganesh Puri, uh, a further time period of 1950 to 1956. And so, <coughs> this is getting close to the end. He left in uh, August 61, and so this is about 10 years before. So, The Old Ashram, the next chapter, 1950-1956, the text goes on. Devotees gathered late one evening in 1950 on the west side of the ashram. Here, Nityananda sat on a small ledge bordering a six-foot drop into the darkening fields behind him. Silence prevailed. Suddenly, in the distance, a pair of bright eyes appeared and, weaving its way slowly through the fields, a tiger came up to the ledge and stopped. Right next to Nityananda. The animal then rose lightly on its haunches and rested its four paws on Nityananda's shoulders. <laughs> and at just that moment, the cat, the little cat, jumped up on the box outside the window. <laughs> but this cat is not so reverential. Calmly, the master reached up with his right hand and stroked the tiger's head. Satisfied, the tiger jumped back down and disappeared into the night. Later, Nityananda observed that as the vehicles of the goddess Vajrashwari, that were the same temple, the temple is Vajrashwari, and that's of a goddess or a devata, uh, the vehicles of the goddess Vajrashwari, tigers should be expected around her temple. He also said that wild beasts behave like lambs in the presence of enlightened beings. Many stories tell of his uncanny ability to understand animals. In Udipi, this was before at an earlier time probably, he once told its captors to release a certain caged bird because it constantly cursed them. He knew what it was saying. Another time, he reassured a frightened devotee that a nearby cobra was too busy chanting to harm anybody. Others remember a devotee who always came for darshan accompanied by his pet parrot. And, in May 1944, Captain Hatengi heard Nityananda say that a bird told him it would rain in three days, and rain it did. It's very true that the birds are very um, keenly sensitive to weather changes before they occur. You can know that weather, the rain is going to stop when you, hear, when you hear certain birds talking, actually. I can see that here. Among the many distinguished visitors seen in Ganeshpuri was a certain Swami from Shirali. Shirali. This enlightened yogi was the ninth guru of a small community that had demonstrated an enviable performance record in all spheres of endeavor for nearly a century. And there are these small uh, sects that um, keep up their traditions for centuries. A shining example of kindness and humility, but too mild-mannered to exercise his authority, the gentle guru found himself dominated by a committee of lay advisors. <laughs> Libido dominandi, as uh, Michael Jones would say, the lust to dominate. Uh, 
For many years, this guru had expressed a desire to visit Ganesh Puri, but the trip was always thwarted by that committee. Finally, asserting himself in 1951, the Swami departed on his pilgrimage. He was accompanied by a Shirali entourage that included three Nityananda devotees, Mrs. Muktabai, her brother, and his wife. The trip's organizers, still unenthusiastic about the trip, drove the Swami to nearby Akroli, where they started to hurry him from the car to the nearby hot springs. Both their guru, but, but their guru asked where Nityananda was. Hesitating, they admitted to being several miles from Ganeshpuri. The Swami demanded to continue on, saying he would only bathe at the ashram, and so the group continued on. Now it seemed that on the previous day, Nityananda announced that a visitor would arrive at 11 the next morning. <clears throat> he then asked the devotee to heat some cow's milk and set it aside. When the Swami and his entourage arrived, precisely at 11, they proceeded directly to the hot springs at Akruli. However, Mrs. Muktabai ran to the master's room and excitedly explained, Deva, our Swamiji has come. Nityananda replied, Everything is known. Milk has been put aside. Place a chair on the temple's outer veranda, put a shawl on it, and offer the milk to the Swami. So he obviously knew that it was going to come, that he was coming on his way. <clears throat> and so it passed that the Swami had his bath, he worshipped at the Bimeshvar temple, and he gratefully accepted the milk. He then rose and proceeded to the ashram's western hall. As the Swami and his lay followers passed the room where Nichananda sat, the lay followers, still determined to prevent a face-to-face -face meeting, silently bowed before the master's door and conveniently blocked him from view. Oddly, the Swami no longer asked about Nityananda. He simply sat in the hall, repeating over and over, We are feeling blissful here and do not feel like leaving. <laughs> uh, and the note here is, To avoid saying I, uh, Matadipati's, uh, I'm not sure if it's Matadipati or Mahadipati's, uh, Dipatis customarily refer to themselves in the first person plural, we, like the royal we. Although pleased that he seemed to have forgotten about Nityananda, the lay advisors still worried. They tried to hurry him by saying that he would miss evening services in Shirali if he did not leave immediately. This is a guy who's super duper love over wisdom. Even though he's uh, well developed, uh, he can't, doesn't know how to kick ass. Uh, or true bubblegum. The Swami replied, Why the concern about being late for one service? We are in a state of bliss, Nityanan, which is uh, Ananda. We are in a state of bliss and do not feel like leaving. However, eventually they persuaded him to leave and the motorcade departed. Staying behind, Mrs. Muktabai again rushed to Nityananda's room, this time to say with sorrow that the Swami had left without seeing him. The master replied, You are wrong. The meeting did occur. But his coming to Ganeshpuri was unnecessary. It could have happened anywhere, and so many people tried to prevent it. She then knew that the encounter had been on a subtle level, leaving the Swami in a state of bliss and immobility. That's why he talked about bliss and didn't want to leave. She also realized that the master himself had made the Swami temporarily forget about him. Several other Ganeshpuri devotees belonged to this community, 
and Nityananda had always told them that the Swami was a good sannyasi and a true yogi. <clears throat> but he couldn't kick ass either. When the party from Shirali was ten miles, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you sh shouldn't those people that tried to prevent him meeting Nityananda be put in their place? Maybe it wasn't his work to do. When the party from Shirali was, then, ten miles from Ganeshpuri, the Swami awoke as if from a reverie and explained, Oh, but we did not meet Nichinanda. His, his advisors responded that they had driven too far to turn back. To this the Swami said, I believe he came to Shirali once, but we were quite young at the time. We have long desired to meet him. But, as was their custom, his advisors chose to ignore the Swami's gentle hint. A little over-gentle. Meanwhile, Mrs. Muktabai's brother was upset with the subterfuge. He returned to Ganeshpuri the next day and told Nityananda what had occurred on the return drive, adding that he personally would bring the Swami to meet him. But the master replied, It is unnecessary because the meeting took place. Moreover, the good man suffers from diabetes and is unfit for another tiring journey. Remember that he is a Mata Dipati, and must listen to his people. Mat. Mata. Mata. Matadipati. Matadipati, maybe. Matati. Mat is the name of a sect, actually, or a type of yogi. And the note here is that mat, M-A-T-H, is not math. Mat. Mat. With an aspiration at the end. Mat. Means monastery. So he's sort of a, a man of the monastery. A matadipati is a leader of a mat, or monastery, an abbot. Um, okay, so I, I'm not sure about that, but, uh, so he was the leader of a monastery, he was the abbot, and I guess, um, had to, uh, follow those advisors, or that's what he thought he did, but he had diabetes, and he was, I guess, older, and he was, um, not in such great health, and, uh, Nityananda's point is that, <clears throat> um, as a Matadipati, he had to listen to his people and follow them. It's a funny job. Maybe he was uh, <laughs> the opposite in past lives, and so in this life he has to um, conform or submit or obey um, as part of his practice um, the wishes or will of the devotees or the people of that temple. That's interesting. One day, <clears throat> Mrs. Muktabai's Muslim landlord told him, uh, sorry, Mr. Muktabatal, sorry, Mudbatkal, Mudbatkal, Mudbatkal's Muslim landlord told him that he had always wanted to meet Nichinanda, but ill health prevented him from traveling. This is the uh, Muslim Islamic landlord. The devotee promised on his forthcoming visit to Ganeshpuri to bring his landlord some prasad, some, some food that was um, blessed by the guru. However, when he found a large group of visitors from Bombay seated before the master, he timidly decided to wait until another day to mention his landlord. At the end of his visit, the devotee went to bow before the master, still conscious of his broken promise, meaning to get this prasad back to the landlord, as he turned to go, Nichinanda called him back and purposefully handed him a coconut. His landlord's desire was fulfilled. <clears throat> Similarly, 
a devotee from Santa Cruz <laughs> in California tells of a childhood journey to Ganeshpuri in the company of a group that included a follower of you, Maharaj. Learning of the disciple's intended visit, his guru gave him a coconut to offer Nityananda. When the group neared the ashram, it found Nityananda leaning against the wooden gate waiting. The moment he saw them, he said, the coconut has been received. <laughs> as if to say, a thought was as good as a deed. Meaning, he already received it by the thought of the guru to do it, to physically offer. And we know that in the Mangalore days, uh, earlier than 50, he told devotees that inner salutations expressed with purity of feeling and motive, shuddha or shraddha, bhavana, made physical obeisance, obeisance unnecessary. That's a very important point that... Um, Physical is not f necessary when one has learned the lessons associated with the physical experience. Physicality, uh, incarnation and third density, right, as an example, is for the purpose of learning the lessons of third density, which is virtually the learning the lessons of sufficient clearance of third chakra or first, second, third chakra blockages to be able to not need to live or reincarnate in third density again. So the purpose of being here is to learn what is available to learn here or make sufficient development of green, blue, indigo here in this moment so as to no longer need to remain here. And so the purpose of experience is uh, learning, which is spiritual growth, which is, you know, <laughs> know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator, or particularly clearance of lower triad blockage by love wisdom, which is development of green, blue, indigo, so as to therefore have distilled love light from the catalyst, so as to no longer need the catalyst. And Ross said that kind of thing. When the catalyst of third density is no longer needed, one no longer reincarnates in third density. So likewise, um, uh, an offering uh, of devotion, an offering made in mind, with true, sincere um, faith, devotion, respect, at um, worship, even you know, worship is just respect. So if somebody said, "Oh, he worships the raw material," or "Don't worship the raw material." Well, you mean don't respect it, don't revere it. Um, it's not, it's not a god, but uh, I think it's good to revere what is truly um, resplendent in love, light, and spiritual maturity of wisdom, love. So, uh, inner salutations expressed with purity of feeling and motive, shuddha, which is also faith, uh, bhavana, meaning like a practice or becoming, made the physical activity unneeded, like the offering of that coconut. And so, um, <clears throat> I didn't need to go to Ganeshpuri or um, Guruvan in the south because uh, I guess he knows I love him already. During this time, Shankar Tirth, Tirth is a type of um, is a title for a type of uh, yogi or sadhu. During this time, Shankar Tirth, a sannyasi who had wandered for years without finding inner peace, first appeared, meaning fifty to fifty-six. Hearing one day about Nityananda, 
he journeyed to Ganeshpuri where, upon receiving darshan, he finally found happiness. Asking the master where he should stay, he was told to occupy the nearby Nat temple that Nityananda had restored two decades earlier. Shankar did so, but the next morning, visibly shaken, said he had experienced such frightening nightmares of attacking cobras telling him to leave that he asked to live elsewhere. Instead, Nityananda told him to go back to the temple and announce on whose orders he was there. <laughs> he was there on Nityananda's orders. The sannyasi did this, but returned the following day with the same story, meaning that he had frightening nightmares of attacking cobras, telling him to leave. Again, Nityananda told him to go back and tell the threatening forces who had sent him. This time, his announcement produced peace and quiet. It is possible for some people to get rid of negative ET intervention and astral, lower astral negative entity involvement, entity possession, attachment, um, harassment, uh, in the name of um, Jesus the Christ or Yeshua. Um, you know, if it's done with um, faith and true, sincere, deep feeling and some degree of certainty that the power is available by that command in the name of Yeshua or Yeshua. <clears throat> uh, some people have had that, have had success to end abduction, uh, uh, chronic abduction that way, and um, negative contact, and astral parasitism, uh, thought form, or ghosts, and this and that. Some people have had success um, ordering um, the negative entities to go, to leave, in the name of Yeshua, or God, or whatever um, higher uh, benevolent power force that one believes in, and then one has some certainty is real. <clears throat> so anyway, Nichananda. <laughs> Uh, told him to tell the cobras that he's there on Nityananda's order, and that's that. And then, eventually, they stopped. Final paragraph. A year or two later, the Shankaracharya, <clears throat> that's a particular line of um, yogis, and a very, very, his, very old line, Shankaracharya, a, li a year or two later, the Shankaracharya who had initiated Shankar Tirth into his particular order of monks was camped at Banaganga, <clears throat> maybe near the Ganges, the Ganga maybe of Ganges, Banaganga, when he sent word for the sannyasi to report for final initiation. Shankar Tirth asked Nityananda if he should go. He was told that it was unnecessary, and so he informed the Shankaracharya that he would not come. <clears throat> and so, this um, sannyasi, Shankar Tirth, um, was clearly very committed to inner transformation. Um, he couldn't find inner peace after many years wandering, probably because he had some mm, karmic obstruction or something he just couldn't dissolve and release. Um either alone or by the guidance that came to him. And that <clears throat> obstruction to the year to inner peace that had not been found despite years of wandering and doing spiritual practice 
and probably pres presumably quite sincerely because he seems like that kind of person uh, the basis of not having found inner peace is probably the same basis or a ba related to the basis of why he was getting these nightmares of attacking cobras although there may have been cobras in the in the neighborhood that didn't want him there uh, but he was susceptible to them uh, partly because of the same blockage that um, stopped him previously from finding inner peace it seems could be anyway Nichinanda um, at the end here is saying that you don't need to continue in that sect um, I mean love and wisdom and beingness is as it is as as they are they're not the possession of any one sect they're not um, uh, owned by or available only by uh, certain practices, certain groups, certain philosophies, certain teachers. Um, everyone can self-enlighten, actually. I mean, it's the development of the seven rays, and the seven rays are the equipment we're using. So, <clears throat> uh, that's what, what he was looking for, he found, and Nityananda told him, you don't have to uh, go back to that sect anymore. And he trusted Nityananda, and I guess had found true inner peace, and um, then told them he's finished, and that was that. So, um, those will be the two chapters for today, even though we could... Let me just see. Even though we could push it a little further, let me just end the two chapters reading for today with those two. Um... In terms of uh, particular interesting points um, through these two chapters, um, <clears throat> you certainly see Nichinanda knowing the future and knowing the past, and a, a very, um, a very uh, sweet, <laughs> caring. Um, as well, like the couple that came uh, and wanted to see him, and he basically shouted at them when they're coming to leave right away. <laughs> and I mean, that's very confusing, and people could think, how rude. And yet, he knew that there was going to be a massive storm that would cut the railway connections. And <clears throat> uh, it's only because they trusted him that they could listen and follow and so um, having faith in a truly <laughs> evolved teacher or a truly light resplendent source of wisdom right like you know Buddha Dhamma or Nityananda's teaching or raw material I would say certainly um, is very important <laughs> um, it's important to know that there's high teaching and uh, mid and low teaching. There are teachers who are finished with evolution in the octave, and there are, are those who haven't, which is nearly everyone we might meet. And like Ross said, there are very few sources that speak the law of one or the unity of all things. The law of one is not a law. It's the nature of reality that physical is metaphysical 
and metaphysical appears as physical, and all the many is of the same substance, or is in the same mind of the Logos, that light itself um, is one. So water is water, whether it's in a cup or, uh, or, an, or an ocean. <clears throat> and so the substance uh, of all the many is one. And so you can say that, Ross said, the uh, nature of all energy is light. So energy is invisible, non-physical, dimensional fields. Waves, particles, and all that. Electromagnetism and all that. X-rays and gamma rays and this and that. This is called energy. <clears throat> the nature of that energy is light and that's the unified or the one substance that substands or is of the nature is the nature of all the many appearances of light whether they're energy or matter so behind matter we see energy and that matter energy itself is a manifestation of light that light is intelligent energy or love light light love its vibration, uh, or the light of the photon, the spin of the po photon. <clears throat> it's the basis of the photon. <laughs> and so it's not a colored light, it's the source of the seven rays. So light, as intelligent energy, is the source of the seven rays, which is um, the octave dimensional vibrations that give rise to energy fields and matter, or substance, you know, matter as... Uh, the form of any dimensional um, object. So there's six density matter too, or uh, six density form, which is uh, as physical as it gets, yet its nature is also light. And <clears throat> that um, energy matter manifestation of light comes from one source as well. It's not only of one substance, but it's of one source. The source is the Logos, the mind of God. And so the, the origin of energy, or of light, <clears throat> which is the substance of energy matter, matter energy, the substance of matter energy being light, the origin of that light is the action of free will upon love, said Ra. Uh, free will is infinite power. Love is the enabling principle, second law, by which um, the Logos desires to let there be light. So the, the desire to let there be is universal love. <clears throat> and that desire that there should be light um, is potentized by infinite will, uh, the action of free will or will upon love, that there shall be light. That comes from a single source as well the one infinite creator or intelligent infinity. And so um, all the manifestation of octaves, galaxies, stars, planets, dimensions, bodies, beings with forms in the dimensions of the solar systems, of the galaxies, and their source, <clears throat> um, that's all um, of the mind of the infinite. Intelligent infinity um, desired that there be a manifestation of its infinity, that it manifest itself, and thereby giving rise to the Logoic principle, or the Logoi, galactic, solar, atmanic, higher self, 
and conscious mind even as a sub 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 logos uh, so that there shall be experience of infinity in apparent time and space in apparent matter energy whose nature is light uh, that's creation <laughs> as far as I can tell or one way of talking about it and that's the law of one <laughs> that all that um, is one life and all that is vibratory is the life that comes from intelligent infinity um, that wishes itself to to be uh, to to be in manifestation to manifest its being to express its infinity in a manifest form of beingness which is vibratory and polarized and um, of apparent time and space in the oct- in the dimensions of the octaves that's the law of one and mm, Nityananda's teaching is to help people um, do the great work for which creation was uh, spoken right in the beginning was the word the logos uh, let there be light intelligent energy um, the purpose of speaking om pranava that gives rise to light in the galaxies and the octaves, the dimensions, is, like Ross said, the purpose of the original desires that entities seek and become one, which is to perfect the seven rays, which is to become a translucent crystal manifesting intelligent infinity through the sevenfold forms of a being in an octave. And um, I think Nityananda had finished that work. So, it's 11-11, on the time clock. Next week, we will uh, continue the reading uh, about the old ashram, part two, or another part two, um, 1950 to 56. And so we're getting to the present time, closer to his passing in 61, and so, the old ashram part two, and then the new ashram at Kailas, um, 56 to 61, we will enter one of those chapters as well next week. So, I hope it's been helpful for you all. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, take good care of yourselves, and good night.